For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to this podcast. This is episode 57. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuhlein in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there. We also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll just start off with some fact check. We were mentioning, uh, I'm not sure if I ended up putting this in the show or not, but you were talking about, uh, we're trying to explain to Jaime how close or not close we live together, Jonathan and I, how far my house is to Jonathan's house in Mississauga. And it turns, I said roughly 40 or 50. 50 kilometers, it actually turns out to be 36 kilometers apart that we live. Practically neighbors. Whereas I think somebody put in here 22.36 miles. It wasn't me. That was me because I, <laughs> 36 <laughs> kilometers, that might as well be the distance to the moon for all I know. Yeah. So I had to go into Google and see. You know, they do measure the distance to the moon in, in meters. I just want to you know point that out, you know. Yeah, and I don't know what that is either. <laughs> 280 it's, thousand, it's an astronomical <laughs> unit, and I don't know how many that is. Yeah, I think it roughly it comes to mind. 280,000 kilometers to the moon. I believe you, yeah, but 22.369 miles. Hey Siri, how far that. is it from the Earth to the moon? Yeah, sure. Now she's not listening. The distance from Earth to the moon at 9.49 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Thursday, February 27th, 2020, is about 405,042 kilometers. What do you know? That I'm completely wrong. was like a Lieutenant Commander Data unnecessarily <laughs> precise answer. It's like, well, as of 9 p.m., it's, it's like, dude, I don't really need to know. Well, I'm not trying to get a, the... a, a rocket there. You know, I'm not NASA. Well, they they do actually they, they do actually move the moon from time to time you know i don't know if you notice that or not it's like well based on you know the the wobble right now from the earth's tides we're actually slightly further away i'm like okay sure and Okay, 405.042. Wait, come back. Can we get Jaime to ask the same question from Seattle and see if he's closer? We could. Okay, so I've got my PCALC application here. I'm just going to do a conversion from kilometers to, by the way, that's uh, $5,406.67 US. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> length here. Length we go. <laughs> kilometers to feet. You want it in feet, Jaime? Um, no, it was, you know. Miles, miles. There you go. Oh, 251,000 miles. I was. I, I had the 200 part right, but 251,000 miles to the earth, from the Earth to the Moon. As of, as of, sorry, as of, wait a minute. Oh, it's gone now. The message is gone. As of 9 p.m., whatever time she said. <laughs> there you go. He's on the ball. Yes, sir, Bob. Anyway, T- TMI, TMI. Um, we're. I think we've been talking about, I'm not sure if it was on this show or other shows we were talking about the amount of money. Oh, yes, we were, it was in the after show that last week we were talking about how much money artists actually make. And uh, I have a, happen to have a friend who was involved in making records when they were an LP, like she started her career when they were still making vinyl and uh, she went all the way through all the CD generations and iTunes and whatever. And now she's back to actually producing albums again on vinyl. 
But anyway, uh, it wasn't her, but Lorena McKennett was on uh, CBC talking about uh, her career as, um, you know, she's self-published for the most part. And she was saying that back in the physical media days, an artist would get 25 cents per song every time it was played or sold or whatever. But now it's like a dollar per thousand plays, right? So it's it's come down quite a, quite a, a lot in terms of what the streaming pays artists compared to what they used to make when albums were on vinyl or CD and all that kind of stuff. So there you go. You can see what see why they're on tour for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, tours where they make the money. So if you're at, I would say to people on on this show and other shows that I'm on, if you are at a show and you want to support the artist, buy the T-shirt yeah. or buy the CD from the artist. Yep. So, yep. Uh, I had a couple of things for our uh, fact check from last time. The um, I tried the Red Boxes app, which we had talked about. Jaime mentioned that uh, uh, Red Box, the popular DVD uh, kiosks, have expanded into doing uh, a streaming service. I tried on a bunch of different uh, platforms and a couple different ways. Um, there there doesn't seem to be an access uh, here in Canada. I don't know, Jaime, if you're getting the same error message I'm getting now, but uh, it comes up as... Um, blocked. I don't know if that's blocked because it's in Canada or if it's just blocked, but uh, yeah. Mm. Did we ever have Redbox rental here? Yeah, you, did, we, did. we did have Redbox here. Oh, really? Okay. Hmm. Like it was like kiosk that you'd find at the mall, right? I, I remember, I think it was like Giant Tiger or something. There was like a um, um, like a, a discount grocery chain that had uh, some sort of affiliation with them, I think, at one point. Right, okay, okay. Did we ever have Netflix where you could order? We never had Netflix where you could order. We did, actually. DVDs, one though. of my former colleagues was, uh, I remember him introducing to me uh, the concept of Netflix in the early 2000s because he right, loaned right. me some of the stuff that he had gotten in the mail. And I oh, remember thinking cool. how novel that was at the time. Right, cool, right. Yep. What else you got for us? And the other one, uh, we had talked about uh, Sonic the Hedgehog as this, uh, this you know, amazing opening and uh, Jaime was lauding it justifiably for um, the fact that they had gone back and spent some dough and, and done this movie right and they were, you know, reaping the rewards by actually uh, raking in some dough. And we had talked about, you know, uh, where that sort of ranked it against um, openings for uh, or, or initial um, openings for movies that were based on video games. And then we were talking about sort of overall video game films and how much money they had made. And so I felt that maybe we should dig into this a little bit. So I looked up the um, openings and the overall box office grosses for movies based on video game franchises. Uh, we talked about Sonic the Hedgehog, which uh, as of this story, is a story from Forbes com this week. Uh, very good. Recommend you check it out. Um, that basically does the openings and it does the overall takes. And Sonic the Hedgehog is now the 13th highest grossing video game based film at $203 million US. Um, and the list goes up from there. So I'll, I won't get into all the numbers, but uh, we were trying to fish for what was there. So Need for Speed, Resident Evil, uh, Assassin's Creed, Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, Resident Evil, Resident Evil, uh, Prince of Persia, Angry Bird, um, and then we get into the top three. Rampage, uh, of course, was that was a uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson film, $428 million US. Uh, Pokemon ended up taking home $433 million overall, which is a pretty tidy sum. And Warcraft is the all-time highest one, which I think is one I mentioned last week, $439 million overall. But uh, the large portion of that apparently came from China. Um, it was a very, very popular film over there. So so popular that even though the movie was considered a huge flop elsewhere, uh, they, they still talked about 
about possibly doing a second one just because it did so well in that market. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's when you actually see the list, you realize there actually have been a fair number of adaptations, although they tend to be a little more, um, a little less sort of of the Sonic ilk and a little more of the uh, you know real life character based type things. Interesting that the Laura Croft Tomb Raider that was the one with Angelina Jolie did well, better than Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah, not by Weird. well, I think it's tied. I think they they they're pretty much right there. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, considering that the errors in which they're made, um, yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I had said on the previous show that uh, Mortal Kombat was my guess, and it's definitely top ten from the domestic rankings in the United States. Uh, it does not make the top ten in international box office. I guess it mm-hmm. it came out too early, right? The the world wasn't quite as international for movies as it was. Well, imagine uh, if they can make that movie with the technology we have now too. Think about when, when did Mortal Kombat come out? That was quite a while back, right? Like ninety five to ninety seven, I would guess. Yeah. So imagine what they'd be able to do with some better technology, right? Indeed. Interesting stuff. All right. Now we know. Now we know. All right. Jaime, you got some stuff for us, right? Yeah. Uh, headlines. Headlines. Do the headlines. The uh, the <laughs> Friends <laughs> cast <laughs> will make millions of dollars to return for a special reunion on HBO Max. So it won't even be like a real Z episode. My understanding is just kind of a, hey, I'm Lisa Kudrow. I'm here making two and a half to three million dollars to be here to talk to you. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I guess once you're done watching this, you can continue watching Friends here on HBO Max. But didn't they didn't they make like a million bucks per episode anyway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. T- towards towards the end there, I think, or like final seasons. Yeah, yeah. They were making multi millions per episode per person. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you do with a million dollars like per episode? It's like what? It's, that's so such an astronomically high number. I'm sure, it all went to their entourage. That's yeah. like uh, yeah. European soccer player money. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And what else is next? But uh, I heard that they were having trouble putting them to get pulling them together but now it's confirmed they're going to do it i mean i feel like three million dollars for like a half hour to an hour of of you know finished tape is it would convince me you know lopez you want to yeah. you want to fly right now to new york and you know sit down for you know it'll take us about three hours to do an hour's worth of stuff it's like sure for for three million yeah yeah so that's a million dollars per word eh yeah <laughs> how you doing that's yeah right. how you doing is exactly what i was thinking <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of that. What else, what, what else you got for us? I mean, we've got uh, BBC Scotland News who has a little Twitter video on uh, filming for The Batman, the one with uh, Cedric Diggory, Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm. whose name escaped me until <laughs> I said that. Isn't he dead? Yeah, Cedric Diggory, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, they, they show, you know, him and or, or possibly more like stunt riders uh, on the motorcycle in the suit. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see things coming along. Um, I, I think folks need to always understand that what it looks like through these normal lenses is not what it'll look like through the, the cinematic finished thing. Um, like I was watching some of the, the ready room stuff for how they did Star Trek Picard and it looks awful. <laughs> it looks like <laughs> garbage but then I'm like well that same scene looked beautiful. I was like yeah you know once they finished doing their job yeah. it looks great. Yeah. It looks kind of silly here so uh, if, I think folks just need to make sure that they look at this through the lens of this will look cool when it's on the big screen. Yeah we have to remember to talk about the Borg Cube when we get to the, today's show so it's kind of weird. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, more more stuff that looks cool is uh, Netflix has a trailer for 
uh, their Transformers uh, War for Cybertron show, animated show that's coming out. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it's definitely the, the 1980s style designs of them, so that's great. Uh, I'm not sure if the voices are all the same. Uh, it certainly sounded pretty good to my ears. They have the, the sound effects sound pretty recognizable too, so I think they're doing something right here. Yeah, it, it looks good, and it's the first part of a trilogy of uh, Netflix Transformers animated pictures. Um, so it's going to be exciting to see what uh, what they can do with it. It does seem they are sort of going back more to that true route. It's not uh, it's not Michael Bade. Uh, so it'll be good to see what they can do with that that franchise um, with you know maybe a little more of a retro spin. Right. Cool. Well, this one from me it was uh, we were talking. Uh, we're, I think we were talking about the um, nominees for uh, best special effects or, or visual effect with respect to the um, Avengers Endgame and why it you know kind of got panned. Uh, I think it was the, the point of the story last week. But uh, so I found this this post around the same sort of uh, place about a visual effects artist who breaks down the year's nominated best visual effects nominees, right? And uh, so those were Avengers, Star Wars, who else is here? Well, the winner was 1917. 1917, yeah, and, uh, oh, and, and the um, the Irishman. So what was cool was it was he kind of broke down the sort of technology behind how they did the different effects, and what was cool about uh, the, again, like Jonathan made the point that, that uh, the Endgame was an amazing movie. I watched it again last week, actually, just on the, while well, I was waiting for something else to happen, but um, yeah, it was a pretty pretty amazing movie visually because um, I hadn't seen it since I saw it at like you know midnight showing in Hawaii when I when I was there last year I guess right. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so like how they how they for instance how they did the Hulk and how they they put the cameras on uh, who's the guy Mark Ruffalo. I, I know it's going to say um, Cedric, Cedric Diddery there for a minute, <laughs> but. Uh, how they how they sort of mapped his face and how they made the 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 uh, matched the the character to him you know to to make him so it was actually Mark Ruffalo acting but you know they basically blew him up and made him into the Hulk or the, or what is he called the cool guy now or very awesome himself in the in the movie but uh, and as well then they talked about how they did some of the special effects in Star Wars and, and Star Wars was a combination of visual of actual practical effects and visual effects and and commu- like you know the part where Ray jumps backwards and stabs the the X-wing fighter, the not the X-wing fighter, the other fighter that the uh, tie fighter, kind of yeah, flies, yeah, 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 the tie fighter, modified tie fighter. But you know, she was actually an actor on a wire, and then um, the uh, you know the rest of it was all CG and and how they kind of did all that kind of special effects and how they did the little character guy who does the brain surgery on C-3PO, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you know, 1917. I've seen a few things about 1917. Oh, actually, the one thing was was but when they had the battle on the sunken Death Star on, um, I guess it's a moon, of, is it moon of Endor? Yep. Yeah, so with water and those waves crashing, and, and a lot of it was digital water, but then there was actual real water in it too, sort of, and how they combined all that. Um, 1917 um, had to make it look like one continuous shot throughout the whole film, so a lot of it was actual practical effects, and there was a whole lot of digi- digital effects to make things look, you know, even more expensive than they were. There's seen, I don't know if you've seen the scene, There's a, I saw something on Twitter where they were showing, there's a scene, I haven't seen the movie yet, but there's a scene where the there's a guy running towards the camera as as bombs are blowing up around him and and um, you know soldiers are running across the field uh, horizontally and you're just you're following this guy at the same speed speed as he is but they also showed another camera showing the filming of that against the the actual field where they're in and you can see that as the, there's like you got the the camera crew and sound guys on the tr- on this pickup truck which has got the camera on it and there's bombs exploding 
happening all around them. They're driving through explosions as they're filming this actor running through the explosions and blowing up. So it's kind of really impressive in terms of how that 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 whole movie sort of came together. Um, I definitely recommend you watch this video that I'm going to have linked in the show notes. And um, the last part, of course, was the uh, was the de aging of these um, actors that are in the Irishman. You know, they basically made De Niro and Pesci and um, Pacino look you know 20 years or 30 years younger than they they are in real life so the actor real actors you know are now in their 70s and they're acting these roles out and yet they used a combination of of course they use like you know computer imaging to do this but they but they didn't put any any dots on their faces they just took the actual actors they used facial recognition because they they have because of those three actors have been in so many movies over their lifetimes they were able to take images from those other movies and map them you know and then use ai to 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 basically make the the a person look younger than he was sort of almost like similar to how they do the deep fake stuff right but but so they could get the really detailed look of of these guys and how their faces would move and stuff like that and i think on one end you had the avengers doing the same thing with mark ruffalo in a similar sense and then you have these guys doing it here without you know the the actors having to wear those rigs on their head that they do for the for the motion capture capture stuff so it's kind of really fascinating how they combined you know actual film effects practical effects and and uh, things to make these make these special effects which are the movies that we all love to see right so and i'm sure probably we'll talk about the ready room we talk about picard tonight too as well mm. so that's my uh, my headline here very cool next up i mean next up we got the um pre-order discounts for disney plus in europe as it launches so if you are in the united kingdom ireland france germany italy spain austria or switzerland notably not the netherlands if you subscribe for uh year in advance it comes down to 49 99 in pounds or 59.99 in euros so on a per month basis instead of four pounds or five euros it comes out uh, i'm sorry it, it comes out to four pounds or five euros a month as opposed to 5.99 pounds or 6.99 euros and then you do the math it's like 70 and 80 i think so having to be 50, 50 and 60 is a pretty good savings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cool next next is uh i don't know what this means for international folks but for the united states hulu will be the extreming sorry will be the exclusive streaming location for parasite on april 8th if you're hoping for it to come yeah. to amazon or netflix and it being there go rent it on itunes or uh, or watch it on hulu well if it's going to be on hulu i would i would expect it probably on something like hbo here for john yeah for crave john. maybe i don't know it'd be interesting yeah. to see yeah i mean sometimes it, gets, it can be really weird again we talked about picard obviously uh in canada it's on uh crave and on the ctv sci-fi channel and then in the united states it's on cbs but then the rest of all gets it on amazon even though discoveries on cbs all access so you never know how those international rights go eh? yeah i think in the states they have um sorry in the rest of the world they do discovery on i thought they did on amazon or is it netflix Netflix with Picard being on Amazon is probably what you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Right, right. Cool. Crunchyroll? Yeah, Crunchyroll. So Crunchyroll is an anime streaming service. Um, you can you can pay for it if you want to get premium stuff like uh, being able to add to a watch list and be able to view stuff at the same exact time that it uh, arrives in Japan versus me, who's cheap, and says, I'll just wait a week later, so I'm always a week <laughs> behind on an episode if I'm watching a series. Um, but they're starting to get into the whole, like, hey, 
hey, what if we had our own? What if we had our own content instead of being completely dependent upon other studios? So I'm not going to go through these, but they have uh, the first official trailer for the various series that they're looking to put under the Crunchyroll Originals brand. I think it'll be interesting to see how that rolls. No pun intended. Nice, cool. So where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Uh, chasing where the, on any streaming service? I guess. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Uh, they, they have had the Carmen Sandiego uh, animated series on uh, on Netflix, and they're going to do a Bandersnatch style episode where you get to choose your own adventure. Um, that'll be nice. coming up. Will you need to have your Atlas and or uh, other flags of the world or something out with you while you're doing it? I think that'd be highly recommended because you know I have watched um, some episodes of this animated series, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, you know these cucumbers are native to Ecuador, and they're eaten by capybaras." I'm like, "Holy smokes!" Like, I would never <laughs> be able to get that. Like, this show is like way harder than I remember it being as a kid. Uh, yeah. At what point did the show turn into? <laughs> are you smarter than a fourth grader? Right. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah, what's happening with the Star Wars world, John? Yeah, this was a weird one, I, and it kind of snuck up on me. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at this trailer. So there's a trailer up on YouTube, uh, and you'll find the link in our show notes. Uh, they are doing this sort of huge new push into a new generation of Star Wars storytelling, and it's going to cross across uh, books for adults, books for young adults, books for children, comic books, um, many different uh, publishing imprints involved in doing this, and it's called Star Wars The High Republic. Uh, the trailer is very interesting in that it basically documents this uh, this sort of meeting of the minds they had at, at Looks Like Skywalker Ranch, where they brought together all these different writers, and they basically put them in a room and had them sort of break down, hey, you've got the entire Star Wars universe at your fingertips, what should we do next? And so they basically came up with this um, this sort of golden age of the Republic, said, I think they said 100 years before the events of Star Wars, uh, and and they basically broke down over the course of this, this sort of conference that they had, all these different angles of different characters, of different settings, and the, the big bad, and all this stuff. It's sounds really interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this sort of all plays out. I, honestly, I looked at it and I was like, this sounds fascinating, if not extremely daunting. In, in typical, um, uh, you know, Disney fashion, it feels like it's like, and it's getting a theme park, and it's getting this, and it's getting that. Uh, I almost felt like, you know, I, if they had said, like, we're going to put out like one book every six months, I'd be like, yeah, I'm totally going to read that. And when they said it's going to have like 16 publishers involved, I was a little overwhelmed, but it does sound really interesting. I mean, they had, uh, at one point in the video, they mentioned that they have the uh, character designer who worked on creating Darth Maul came out and helped do them do uh, character designs for some of the characters that they were coming up with and stuff. So it looks really, really interesting. Um, did you guys have a chance to look at this? No, I just saw a picture of it, like a like a screener of it, like a single image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, it looks, it looks interesting. It, it's uh, it's uh, closer to, to real time, if we want to call it that, than the Old Republic. Uh, folks might remember the Old Republic stuff. Uh, being some pretty cool video games. So that would be uh, a notable tie-in here mm-hmm. to, to what this is doing, you know. But there's still plenty of space. There's a lot. I mean, they didn't exactly sit down and explain, like, here's exactly what happened over these you know, thousands of generations of, of Jedi who did stuff long before the prequel. So it's kind of fun to see that there's new uh, new blood, new room for, for stories to tell. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you do wonder, obviously, if it is a hit, uh, sort of where it spills from there, too. Are they going to take it and do video games or movies or TV shows? Again, it seems like all the stuff is so interconnected now, right? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, possibly overkill. Yeah, possibly overkill. Again, when Disney owns your properties, there's a good chance for overkill. Um, mm-hmm. The next thing I saw was uh, the, this news from Variety about um, Indiana Jones 5. Now, you can all may have conflicted feelings about the fact that they're doing an Indiana Jones 5 starring 78-year-old Harrison Ford, but they're making it. Uh, the story this week was that Steven Spielberg, who, of course, has directed all of the Indiana Jones films, uh, is not going to be directing the fifth one. James Mangold is reportedly going to take over as the director. Uh, he famously directed Logan, which I think we all uh, agree was a quite well-made film. Yep, yep. Um, so I don't feel any... Um, I mean, obviously, Steven Spielberg is one of the great directors of all time, but I don't think that's a huge drop-off. But uh, still an interesting thing to sort of see a passing of the torch there, if only they could think to pass the torch to maybe somebody who isn't a 70-year-old grumbly actor. Right, cool. Uh, next thing up, there was a bit of a shake-up at DC Comics. Um last week. Dan DiDio, who is the uh, publisher of DC Comics, has left the organization. They have not said whether that was a uh, voluntary or uh, forced exit, although the, the the rumors online to be believed was that it was he was asked to go. Uh, apparently he had been pushing for an agenda of, uh, of you know, continuing to transform and, and push um, different ways to sort of expand the, um, the characters. There was talk that they were going to do a fifth reboot this summer of the DC Comics brand uh, in in the wake of things like uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths and the New 52 and and uh, some of the other initiatives they've done over the years to sort of refresh the line of characters and the line of comics uh, and that that was not a hit across the organization and Warner Brothers. So um, kind of a strange thing. He had been involved with the organization for quite a long time, oh, well, well, well over 10 years and had been responsible for some of their very successful initiatives. So it's a, it's a strange thing. Uh, I'm not sure what it means for the future uh, over there. There were some very, very uh, erroneous uh, rumors going on out there uh, that people were sharing over social media that uh, that this means that Marvel was going to buy out DC and, and my... It's nonsense. Just please, please do not forward those things around. They're, they're nonsensical. So uh, Warner Brothers owns these. AT&T owns Warner Brothers. They're making movies out of these things. They're making TV shows out of these things. They're not selling their characters to Disney. Not to mention the fact that the United States government would not allow that because it would create a virtual monopoly over uh, publishing. So uh, hmm. don't hold your breath on that one anyways. Right. Uh, and a little tidbit here, Jurassic World wait, wait. 3. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. wait. Well, Jurassic World. I'm going to guess the name. Oh. Jurassic World. Will they never learn? <laughs> no, it's Endgame. It's Endgame. Haven't you seen the, tr- the, the poster? <laughs> Jurassic World 3, Endgame. Uh, so Jurassic World 3. So we had already gotten a little bit of a teaser that this was going to be sort of the Jurassic uh, Jurassic World Endgame. It's going to be all the actors are coming back from the original Jurassic uh, Park that are, uh, are, I guess, around and alive. So um, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to get you know uh, Ellie Sadler. We're going to get you know all these all the all the original actors, which is very exciting. Um, plus, they're bringing all the characters back from the uh, the franchise that they've built rebuilt here, uh, and they've just announced a name. Jurassic World Three is going to be called Dominion, which in Canada maybe takes a different meaning because we used to have a grocery store chain called Dominion. We used to be called the Dominion of Canada. That's true. We were. We were. And the Toronto Dominion Bank, you know? Yes, indeed. Yes. Indeed. Uh, they put up a trailer this week for Walking Dead, The World Beyond. World Beyond is a two-year limited Walking Dead spin-off series uh, that is apparently set around characters. I think we talked about this one in the past that they were going to make this. It's a set around a generation of uh, kids who grew up in the 
zombie era. So don't have Mm -hmm. strong memories of the world before and uh, them going on sort of their own adventure in this world with, you know, having grown up in it. Um, Again, I've gotten a little disconnected. I think we all have gotten a little disconnected from the Walking Dead world over the last few years. I think we've all sort of felt that it's it's had its rise and is now uh, sort of headed somewhere else. But um, the trailer doesn't look bad. Of course, in 20 years, we'll all be proved wrong when they have these big, giant Walking Dead conventions. And Uh, the fan base is still (laughs) apparently quite rabid. Uh, You know, the rabid. Yes, exactly. The the comic book series is over. The the I don't know about the ratings and such, but uh, you know, anecdotally, obviously, uh, you know, none of us are are keeping up with it. And uh, some of my other friends who are sort of in this community, it doesn't seem like it's uh, nearly as hot as it was uh, four or five years ago, for sure. Right. Okay. And this one made me sad, and I I think it'll hit home with Jaime too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Kazuhisa Hashimoto, uh, who was the creator of the Konami Code, died this week at age 61, far too soon. Uh, Hashimoto-san created this code, which, Jaime, can you do it off the top of your head? Is it like no robot should harm any human or... No, no. Well, no, but it's it's something that's ingrained in every video gamer's head, I think. Yeah, Um, yeah. Uh, It's the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start. And sometimes select start, depending on what you were trying to modify like i think super c or yep. the or the nes needed select for some reason but yep. it, it's it's largely been the same it just everywhere like uh, konami games uh go to random websites and somebody's put an easter egg that does something when you put in the konami code yep. it is one of the most famous uh little easter egg codes ever put into a game the reason that uh that uh hashimoto put it into his game was because he was working on uh an adaptation for the NES and he hadn't played it very well so he couldn't beat it so he put in the code so that he was going to be able to do it himself and he just left it in there uh, and it was so popular every other game it was so popular that they started putting it in regularly and then as Jaime said they started making minor tweaks to it but people would often figure it out uh, and it became this sort of very ubiquitous video game thing over the years uh, it started in in the early 1980s and uh, and it just sort of carried through and most you know gamers uh who are sort of you know more than just casual can can do that off the top of their head up up down down left right left right ba start and uh so yeah my question is is it in ready player one it's a good question good question i want their the book i mean yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah so again well we had this little little obit that was written by uh, the good folks over at kotaku uh, gave them a nice nice uh, send off this week with with that and the the comment board was again a lot of fun everybody's sort of saying like without this guy I wouldn't have finished this game. I wouldn't have finished this game. It made, oh, really? yeah. and you know, people were huh. like, thanks for all the extra lives. Like, you know, like wow. this, this guy yeah. was, you know, he was fundamentally created something that was fundamentally part of a lot of people's video game experiences. So, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so rest in peace, Hashimoto-san. All right. Well, in this next story, I almost don't want to read it because I haven't seen this movie yet called Knives Out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen Knives Out or whatever. Mm-mm. You haven't seen it yet, John, right? Mm-mm. And Hami? No, I haven't anyway, seen it. Either. It's kind of, kind of a spoiler, but, but, uh, Ryan Johnson, the uh, director of the movie, says or claims that Apple has such an iron fist on the control of their brand that they won't let bad guys own an iPhone in movies. So, so that might be a spoiler for the movie Knives Out. Well, it might be a spoiler <laughs> for any future movies this year. If you see somebody yeah. holding an iPhone, you're like, well, they clearly didn't, weren't the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So when we see one show up in Picard, we'll know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it dust off this old ancient relic, you know. 
on the Borg ship. Um, yeah, no, I just, I, I, I almost don't want to read the article, but yeah, I, I'm going to have to now. But do I you believe it? Do you, do you believe that this is true? Oh, I don't know. Up, up, down, down, left, right, start. <laughs> <laughs> you could be making that shit up for me too, because I don't know. <laughs> you and John, you and uh, Jaime could have like a secret dialogue on behind my back. Anyway. Last one, last last headline of the headlines. I mean, yeah, this trailer came out just today. This is uh, a, a reboot, I guess we'll call it, of the Candyman movie by um, mm-hmm. by Jordan Peele. So, where you look in the mirror and say Candyman three times? Uh, it's mm-hmm. five times apparently. I thought it was three as well, uh, but this this movie claims this movie trailer claims it's five times, and it's a uh, screenplay. Beetlejuice was three times. Yeah, Beetlejuice was definitely three times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, and I guess we have to get into the minutia of like, is it is it five times all time? Or is there like a cool down period? You know, if you say five times within a certain time period, <laughs> what are the rules, right? We're getting into Gremlins level of, of minutia. But, uh, yeah. this is Do you remember the, uh, was it the South Park a couple of years ago did Biggie Smalls, Biggie Smalls, Biggie Smalls? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, executive produced by Jordan Peele. Uh, the screenplay has him as one of the uh, writers and is directed by Nia DaCosta. Mm. It comes out in June. All right. You have strong feelings cool. about Candyman? I remember watching it. Um, I don't remember who the actor was in my in my very fuzzy memory. I'm like, was it the Allstate guy? Because I feel like it was a very similar looking guy. Uh, the Allstate uh, commercials no. guy. Um, it probably wasn't because that guy would probably be way too old to do it now. Um, hmm. uh, it was one of those um, like second tier for that era, right? Like the, the top tier was definitely going to be your, you know, Freddy Krueger. It was going to be your Jason Voorhees uh, to some extent, you know, your... Uh, your Chucky, and then sort of that next tier was stuff like Candyman. So, so we'll see what they end up doing with it. So this is this one's going to bug you too. So uh, the actor who played it, his name was Tony Todd. Um, Tony Todd was also famously Kern, Kern from Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Oh, Worf's brother, interesting. Yeah. Right? yeah. Hmm. So that's he's, he's got the he's very, the very, very distinctive voice. Very, very distinctive, distinctive voice, Tony Todd. All right. Well, folks, here it is. Da da da. We're here for the. Star Trek Picard Season 1 Episode 6 discussion of the show called The Impossible Box and this week we've got Jonathan taking the reins on the recap. Yep, let's see how we do. Uh, So the episode starts uh, with a dream sequence. It starts inside uh, a dream uh, with a little um, Japanese girl so we can determine from that one it's probably Soji. Uh, She's a little girl and she's you know in a house there's lightning cracking outside. She's wearing the necklace too. Too, right? She is, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's creeping through a house that's kind of dark with the windows. You can see lightning crackling. Uh, she's creeping down a hall and she opens a doorway and she sees uh, a bunch of orchids. And behind the orchids, a man is tending to something, uh, but she can't figure out what it is. She can't see the person and she can't see uh, what's beyond the orchids. Um, and she hears a voice say her name and she wakes up. And sure enough, it's Soji and she's in bed lying next to Narek, the possibly Rob Meelan spy. Um, and she says, you know, she's been having that same dream. The dream keeps recurring for her. And uh, and he sort of says, you know, well, the dream dreams mean something and every everybody's hiding something, whether they know it or not. And, and it could be something hiding in your dreams. Um, and the two of them have another one of their sort of, uh, uh, you know... Pillow talks, let's call it. Well, it's a pillow talk, but it's also the two of them, they they're sort of have these little conversations where they're, they seem like they're sword fighting without swords. They're, they're using their words to sort of try and figure each other 
other out. He's obviously aware that she is a, a synthetic human and that she is uh, not who she says she is. He, she suspects very much that he is, uh, you know, obviously hiding things from her. And so the two of them sort of trade these little barbs back and forth about who they really are. Um, and, you know, she makes a dig at him about, you know, oh, Romulans actually have two names. You know, it was one of the secrets that you're hiding your true name from me. Uh, and he says, you know, uh, do you think that your real your dream is real or something that you're imagining? And suggests that he ask, his, ask her mother, because we know that we've seen the, the mother AI, which we already know is not real. Um, and he says, you know, I know that you talk to your mother every night. And she sort of says, how do you know I talk to my mother every night? Are you spying on me? And of course he's spying on her. But um, we cut to back to uh, La Serena and Agnes is telling a story to Picard about how uh, Bruce Maddox died. As you recall, at the end of last episode, uh, she murdered him. Um, but she's saying, you know, oh, no, it's his, his, his injuries that he sustained were too much for him and his heart couldn't take it and he died. Um, which is interesting because I didn't know where they were going to go last week on that one, whether they were going to have it be they come around the corner and say, oh, my God, you've killed her, uh, killed him, or if that was going to uh, be something that she kept to herself. So clearly it's it's to herself. Uh, they do a little... Well, you would think in the 23rd century the logs would be able to tell that something was amiss, right? Well, and the EMH popped in at one point. Wouldn't yeah, the EMH yeah. be able to like, pop back on and say, uh, by the way... Yeah, yeah. But they don't get into that. They uh, they instead, they do a little, little data dump for us. So they give us a little reminder uh, that they're headed towards the artifact where Soji is, and they give a little recap of uh, the fact that Picard was assimilated and... Um, you know, that he's still dealing with the trauma of that, even that this is supposed to be, you know, 20, 20 plus years later. Uh, and he makes this sort of, you know, uh, blanket statement about the Borg. Uh, they don't change. They metastasize. It was a great line. Right. Yeah. Um, Elnor sort of notices Agnes is upset and says, you know, you, you're also haunted by something just like Picard is by something you'd like to forget. And then uh, <laughs> the great line from him, too. Sorry. Was I in budding? Uh, yeah. Picard is uh, then goes into his. Uh, his hollow, hollow produced study again and starts reviewing the files about the Borg and the artifact trying to learn everything he can and it starts to recap and so again we get a little bit of a sort of recap of where we're at and he realizes that uh, Hugh is the, the leader of the Borg reclamation project and then we see the image of Locutus and a beautiful uh, visual overlay of the transparent screen showing Locutus's face overlaid with the now older right, yeah, Picard's yeah. face um, and, and you can feel you, it, honestly, it gives you chills. It just just takes you right back to that moment of the first time you saw Picard assimilated, and uh, and very very well done. So, so I'm I'm reading Jaime's notes here in, in the, the the show notes and trying to keep trying to figure out where you are in the story. I'm reading but my some, notes. I'm not reading those know, notes. No, I'm just I'm like he's got like space Wolverine tries jagged little pill, and, and I'm like, okay, how does that? Fit? <laughs> I, 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 I I write my in, but <laughs> yeah, there's a, a, a lot of butt talk in this one. Um, <laughs> The, so Rios is the space wolverine, and Allison Pill is the, the oh, decoded the okay, jacket. So we haven't pill, got to that part yet. Which, Spoilers. Which yes. is the, the album title for Alanis Morissette's album for the 90s. Right, yeah. Of course, yes. That's mm -hmm. about right. 
Uh, all right, so we'll get we'll get into that one right now. So uh, we we get our Picard title sequence, and then we cut back to La Sirena, um headed into the Beta Quadrant where the neutral zone used to exist, uh, headed towards the artifact. Um, Rios is playing a little little one man soccer practice, and uh, in walks as as Jaime mentioned, in walks Agnes Girardi. Uh, coincidentally, he's looking buff, and she's looking uh, very sexy in her, her sleepwear. Um, she sort of says, you know, why do you like it out here? Why do you like it in, in space? Space is cold and empty and wants to kill you. Uh, and, you know, there had been sort of hints that there was some good chemistry between the two of them and, and they share a kiss. And uh, she sort of says, you know, I've never slept with the captain of anything before. And he says, I'd recommend she says, it. I have this amazing superpower. Yeah. Well, he, first he says, yeah, I've never slept with the captain of anything before. And he says, I recommend it. And then, uh, she, yeah, she's, as, as they're sort of headed towards uh, to his quarters, she says, oh, and then he says, what's the problem? And she says, I have a superpower. I can sense mistakes as I'm making them. And uh, right. he says, that's not much of a superpower. And uh, yeah, so the the two of them sort of have this sort of moment where they're sort of both, you know, he's sort of questioning what's going on in her mind. She's questioning whether or not it's a good idea to sleep with him. And, uh, you know, he asks how she's feeling. She says, I'm feeling hollow, helpless, lonely, and afraid. Um, but that doesn't stop them kissing and clearly going off to the other room to, uh, to have a shag. Um, we cut back to the artifact and to Narek and do we have a, a Romulan name for his sister? Are we still calling her Rizzo? Yeah, I think it's just Rizzo. For Rizzo? Yeah, yeah, I don't think they've given a name yet. Uh, so the two of them are having, again, these two have lovely scenes where they dance with words and uh, and they're fighting over this puzzle box that Narek owns called a Tan Jakran and, mm-hmm. uh, and of course it's a, it's a metaphor for, um, for Soji and um, you know, they, he, she's basically saying like, you know, you're, you're, you're not getting your job done you got to get this done how come you're taking so long and you know he's talking very wistfully about soji and she says you know well you are in love with her you with you're in love with it and really dehumanizes her um but he he has a really interesting sort of line in there and he says you know well what's the purpose of giving us a synthetic person dreams why would you do that she says well it's a malfunction he says no 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 it's not it can't be a a malfunction she says every day she must come up against the fact that her her existence finds evidence the fact that she isn't human and that she has to create that cognitive dissidence that goes somewhere and it goes into her unconsciousness and that's not something that's coincidental and it's something we can take advantage of um so he says you know my plan is to get her to reveal what her dreams are so that i can get inside and and work her engrams and get the truth without having her activate and pummel me into the floor like all the rest of the romulans who activated dodge and and the previous episodes and you know he sort of says you know eyes are on the prize here it's all about subtlety and it's about getting the answers to where the synth homeworld are it's not you know this isn't a box you can open by force this is a box you have to open by using all of the right methods and he explains that by by opening the tanchakran all right so some real-time follow-up here peyton list is the actress who plays lieutenant narissa rizzo that's all we know her as so far so cut back to la Serenia and uh <laughs> and they're headed towards the artifact uh, come hell or high water, but they don't have really uh, a right to be there. Uh, they know and they admit that, you know, heading towards there is going to be a breach of the Galactic Treaty, uh, just crossing into Romulan space. And uh, Agnes says, well, you know, hey, let's let's go undercover as scientists. And Picard says, the second that I walk off this ship, they're going to know the Romulans will recognize me, the Borg will recognize me, and the game's over. And uh, so he says, instead, let's try the co-op Malat way, the same way that, uh, that uh, Elnor was raised 
raised. Let's be perfectly open. And so he suggests that they, uh, knowing now that Borg, that Hugh is the, the leader of the Borg Independence Project, he wants to try and get Federation diplomatic credentials as an envoy so that they'll have to let him on board so that he can meet with Hugh. And when they say, why would they do this for you? They say, oh, no, no, not for me. And they pull Raffi out of her quarters where, of course, she's been getting drunk for several days and clearly high. And uh, she's a mess, obviously, in, in the wake of being rejected by her son. And, and um, she's, you know, yeah, she's pretty messed up. But they put her in a chair and they prop her up. She has a hit off of her pipe and uh, she calls one of her friends at Starfleet, uh, Emmy, who they don't, I don't know if they gave her any more detail than that about her. Um, she says, you know, hey, I'm, I'm here on this mission with Picard and, and we need your help. And she sort of says, I, I can't help you. They're sorry. Like, you can't do that. She's like, well, the bad news is we're three hours away from the artifact and we're like just about to cross into Romulan space. She's like, you, you're going to start a war. You can't do that. And he's, he says, I, she says, I know. Picard is so Federation. His face is probably still in the damn brochures. And so Emmy basically says like, okay. And in, in the effort to not, you know, start a war in the uh, in the Romulan space, I'll, I'll see what I can do. She says, I'll get you a 24-hour pass, but do me a favor. Never call me again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, funny scene there. Um, at which point, Raffi sort of piles herself back into her room. Uh, we cut back to the artifact. Soji uh, is talking to Narek, and she says, yeah, I had that same dream again. And uh, he's, she says, um, I fell asleep talking to my mom again. And Narek says, yeah, I looked up, you know, he says, I, you know, I looked up your logs, basically, and every single call you have with your mom lasts exactly 70 seconds. You talk to your mom every single night, and it lasts 70 seconds every single time. And so there's that whole question in, now planted in Soji's mind of, well, what does that mean? Like, how is that possible? Um, we cut back to a very emotional scene on La Srenia with Rafi and Rios, where Rios comes to check on her, and she's a mess. And uh, she basically confesses the fact that she's got a son. And even though the two of them know each other for years, he, he she had never revealed the fact that she had a son. And she says that they were estranged. And, and uh, Mitchie mentions that she's going to have this granddaughter on the way and, and very tearfully says, this is nobody I'll ever know. It's, it's a very, very, uh, very, very sad scene. And, and we sort of see the depths that uh, that, that falling out again has, has uh, reduced Rafi to. Back to the artifact and Soji is in her quarters and she's calling her mom, uh, which we know now is an AI. And we, se- we now see the full extent of the AI using its programming to put her to sleep. She's trying desperately to fight against it and even takes out a, a, something off her desk, I don't know if it's a pen or something, and stabs herself in the hand to prevent herself from falling asleep, but she can't resist. And the AI knocks her out again. Um, back to the La Serena and that's a little redundant. La La Serena. Anyways, back to La Serena. Uh, Picard has been approved as an envoy, but they've made a point of saying uh, he has to go alone. They're not allowed to land the ship and that no one can go with them. Uh, he has to beam into the coordinates. Agnes is uh, very obviously relieved. She had no interest in going over there. Elnor is mad because he has taken this vow to protect Picard and thinks, you know, he shouldn't be going over there to this, this risky situation without him. And uh, Picard makes a point of showing the fact that he's got Dodger's necklace in his hands. And then we cut to his hands and we see the fact that they're shaking and that being this close to that artifact is is really messing with him. Um, Soji wakes up back on the artifact at her desk and she's justifiably shaken because she's now realizing that something is very wrong. Uh, that, that, you know, uh, so she starts digging through her personal effects. She pulls out all her photos and she pulls out her, her pictures that she drew on the wall as a child and she pulls out her 
her toys and she pulls everything out and she scans it and every scan reveals the same answer. With the probable age. Yeah, that's right. With her, with her iPhone. Is that a 12? I thought that was an iPhone 67. Maybe, maybe. She pulls out her iPhone 67 and every single thing says the same thing. Probable age, 37 months. Probable age, 37 months. And she's freaking out. Uh, we cut to Picard. He beams in and he is very quickly shaken by the fact that he's back on a board cube. Uh, he starts having these flashbacks. He starts really starting to get overwhelmed by the, the fear and the emotion of, of you know, all the things that have gone through his head since he was assimilated. And two Borg come and grab him by the shoulders and he starts yelling, get off me, get off me. And then you hear Q's voice from across the way and he sort of says, you know, they're, they're trying to keep you from falling. And then Picard sort of snaps to and realize that they, these are reclaimed Borg. These are people and they're trying to keep him from falling off the walk, walkway that has no railings. Uh, Q is very glad to see him and comes and gives him a big hug and says, you know, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. I'll help you in any way I can. So um, very quickly sort of alleviates the fear of, you know, how Hugh's relationship with Picard is after all this time. He's ecstatic that this person who helped save him from the collective is back and there to help. Um, Soji goes to Narek and talks about her feelings. She says, uh, you know, or he says, you know, well, maybe, maybe somebody's planted false memories in you. Maybe that's what it is. And he suggests that there's a Romulan technique, a type of meditation called the Zalmak that could help her unlock what's in her mind. Um, a way of, 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 yeah, sort of working through just like the puzzle box. Picard's getting the grand tour by Hugh and he is impressed by the fact that Hugh is doing this reclamation. The fact that he's undoing assimilation and he says on a massive scale that they're being healed. Uh, and he sort of starts to reverse course from where we started this episode where he sees that, you know, these people are victims, that they're not monsters, that, that you know, that they can be saved in the way that he was saved, that it's not all Borg. It is truly an illness. It is a plague. It is not about the people. Um, and Hugh says, I'm glad you saw this. I, I, you know, I think having a Picard on my side to advocate for free Borg will be a very powerful thing. Um, so I, I think that'll come back around. Mm -hmm. We cut to Rafi and Rios. Uh, Rios comes in and pours her a cup of coffee and, and tries to get her sort of back on her feet after her bender. And uh, he says, you only do strips of Latinum. She says, well, what are you, what are you two strips of Latinum for? He says, so she's still alive. And Rafi, always the one who's conspiracy minded, says, you know, they have to have figured out by now. If the Romulans are, you know, half as smart as we think they are, they have to have figured out that she's not who she says she is. Why haven't they busted her yet? What do they want? Mm -hmm. And so again, we well, cut. not just that, but what did, what did, what did whoever sent her to the Borg ship for? Well, yeah. Why did they send her there? Yeah. yeah we, we, they mentioned that very early on in the episode. Why? Yeah. What, we, the, Maddox had said that he'd sent them there to find the answers, but uh, yeah, it's it's again her ability to sort of see the see the hidden truth in these things. Um, we cut back to the artifact, and Narek has now taken Soji to this very special room after <laughs> dressing down the guard, um, and says, you know, this is the, this is the Zalmak room. Um, and in order to earn her trust, he tells her supposedly his real name, Brian. Um, he says, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to sort of, you know, we're going to probe your dreams. Uh, we're going to have you walk this pathway. And as you go through it, you're going to unlock more as you go, as you follow this pathway. And when you get, get to the middle, we're going to find the truth. So she goes through the same dream sequence you saw at the beginning of the episode. She starts to recap it. Um, she's looking for more details. She says she remembers her stuffed animal, Scoogie's fur. She remembers the 
that she's sweating. She remembers the lightning. She said she can't see out the window properly. Um, and then when she comes into the room where her father is, she says she can't see past the orchid. She can't figure out what's there. Uh, and she hears the voice calling her name and she pops back out. But Nara keeps pushing, pushing her to try and find the truth. Back to Hugh and Picard. They are trying to figure out now, okay, we've got to find Soji. Hugh takes Picard to Soji's room where he, they find the mess that she's left when she was scanning all of her documents. Her pictures are all over the desk and they figure that she's starting to come unraveled. Picard says she's think, she must be close to figuring out the truth. Um, they do a scan to try and find out where her location is and the location comes back and says that she's not on the cube. And they say, well, that's impossible. So it must be being concealed. So then we realize that things are not looking good for Soji in that locked room with Narek. Uh, we finally get back to the dream and Soji is being pushed by Narek. Find the next thing, find the next thing. He says, I, you know, can you see your father? Can you see your father? Look past the orchids. And she looks past, she looks behind and she sees her father's face, but there is no face. It's blurry. Yeah, there's nothing there. Uh, and she looks past the other side of the orchids and she sees on the table herself as a full-sized wooden doll. And Narek quick, quickly says, okay, now look up, look up through the skylight and tell me what you see. And she says, I see the, I see two red moons, dark as blood and lightning, so much lightning. And then snaps back to the room and is looking at him and says, you know, why was I on a workbench? Why, why was I there? What, what does that mean? And he kisses her very tenderly and says, it means you're not real. You never were. And then he says goodbye. And he drops the puzzle box that we saw earlier. And he walks out the door and locks behind him. And he looks genuinely pained in that moment. He looks like he's, you know, maybe there is a lot of truth to what Rizzo said earlier, that maybe he really was in love. And as the puzzle box unlocks, as it did before, we see this red gas start to leak out and starts suffocating her. She's choking. Clearly, it's something toxic meant to kill her in this moment. He's got the answers he needs, so it's time to get rid of her. But of course, all it does is tick her off, and all that does is activate her. So she reaches down and starts hitting the floor and punches a hole through the wood floor and then through below that and through the metal and down and jumps down through the floor. Uh, Hugh all of a sudden recognizes that she's reappeared on the on the indicators that he's got, saying she's now between two floors, and it can't be right because she's moving unnaturally fast. And Picard knows that exactly what that means. That means she has been activated. There's a little throwaway moment in there that I thought was interesting, and I'll just uh, I'll digress into that for one second. As Picard and Hugh are walking down the hallway and they're trying to get to where Soji is, one of the Borgs uh, walking, one of the reclaimed Borg walking by says, Lacutus? As far as Picard <laughs> yeah. walks by. Yeah. Yep. Which was as funny. Yeah, they yeah. didn't, it wasn't like they recognized him as Jean-Luc. They recognized him as Locutus as part of the collective. I thought that was an interesting yeah. little, little, little throwaway line, but, but interesting in that moment. Well, did you also catch the, the part where they said that uh, the queen is uh, Romulan? No, no, I didn't see. Yeah, that. they said they said our our queen oh, is a Romulan. Yes, yeah, I did. Yes, I did. Now that you mention it, you're right. Um, so of course, you know, uh, Soji fully activated, busting through two floors, uh, has got the Romulans freaking out. Narek starts calling in the reinforcements. Soji crashes through the ceiling just in front of where Picard and Hugh are, and uh, Picard knows just what to do. So he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the necklace and he sort of says, "You know, I'm here to help you. My name is Jean Luc Picard. I'm here to help you. I'm here to rescue you." And and uh, he says, she says, aren't you a little short for an admiral? Short for a stormtrooper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, when she sees the necklace, she knows that, you know, this this person is, you know, legit. He says, let me help you. And the Romulans are on the way. Hugh is saying, you got to get them out of here. So Picard asks Hugh for help. Hugh takes them into this sort of hidden area inside, which he calls the Queen Cell. And it's an interesting note. They say it's a place they both remember, even though never neither of them ever been there before. Yeah. And inside is this, uh, what he calls a trajector, which is uh, technology that was assimilated by the Borg from the Sicarians. And it has a 40,000 light year range, and it basically creates a doorway. And so, because they can't get off the ship, Picard says, you know, okay, let's go. He calls the uh, Serenia, La Serenia, and he says, uh, okay, you know, we can't get out this way. We've, you know, you guys go, we'll rendezvous at Repenth. And Repenthe? Repenthe? And um, Maybe, yeah. at which point, they're like, okay, fine, we'll meet you there. Hey, wait a minute, where's Elnor? And uh, cut to the, back to the artifact, and the Romulans are closing in, they're coming towards the door, three of them are coming at them, and they're just about to take down Hugh Picard and uh, Soji, and Elnor just comes in like a, a like a A ninja. Rogue ninja and Ah. starts slashing the heads off of them, Uh, and yet another um, uh, slice first, ask questions later moment for Elnor. Um, Elnor, I told you to stay on the ship. Yes, I didn't listen. Um, Great line. This guy, the kid gets all the great lines. Uh, They decide they're going to open the door, but in opening the door, Hugh sort of says, you know, this is going to take a few minutes. And Elnor says, you guys go, I'll stay here, I'll defend your retreat. Uh, they hesitate because they don't want to leave him be- behind, but they realize that he's right. They they do need the time. So Soji and Picard jump through this, this portal, and Hugh and Elnor are left behind. Hugh says, it's going to take a few minutes to shut down and then rehide the room. And he says, can you buy us a few minutes? And Elnor says, you know, yes, I can buy you a couple of minutes. And then the door closes behind them, and you hear him say, please, my friends, choose to live. I love that line. That's like my new catchphrase now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah again another great episode like really good mm-hmm. pace good characters i mean i, I thought this was great what do you guys think I, yeah for sure I, I was digging it uh some of the notes uh really good, good recap by the way um some notes that i captured um is that early in the episode when they're recapping Picard's time in the collective, he nearly goes full Captain Ahab. Like <laughs> clearly the, 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 yeah. it, it reminded me of first contact, right? Where he, mm-hmm. you know, he gets called out as being like Captain Ahab and the Borg were the ones who had wounded him and he was going to get his revenge. And yep. he, he obviously still feels it. Right. And you can see the trauma there when he envisions Borg drones grabbing him versus mm-hmm. XBs who have been liberated and are just trying to keep him from falling off the catwalk. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful performance by uh, Patrick Stewart. Just it's so much subtlety in his face and his eyes. Uh, another note I have here is Nepenthe. Uh, just like a lot of these planets, they all have some sort of meaning in the real world. Uh, this one I had to look up because I didn't know, but it's uh, a drug described in Homer's Odyssey as banishing grief or trouble from a person's mind. Interesting. I feel like, like that will give us a hint for the, the next place they're going to. Uh, the Sicarians tickled the back of my brain. I was like, I, I've never heard that before. And I, so I went to go look it yeah, up. I'm just, I'm just checking right now. If you remember the episode called All Our Yesterdays on the original series? where this planet is about to be destroyed by a uh, supernova and, yeah. they go, and, and they beam down to try and, to try and rescue people and they meet this old dude uh, whose name is hang on I'll tell you what his name is his name is wait for IMDB to load do, 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 do. Uh, Mr. Atos and he sent and they go and Spock and McCoy go back and they meet Marriott Hartley in prehistoric time in the planet and you know uh, Spock reverts back and falls in love with her and Kirk ends up going somewhere else um, but he ends up going back 
seventy to a time when when they had we were burning witches and and uh, anyway. So I'm thinking that arch because it reminded me of the arch in that episode where they jump through and they go back in time and just looking to see what the name of the planet was because um, it could be that one or the one with. Um, Oh, who was the actress in English actress who was in Dynasty? Elizabeth Taylor? No, it's Joan the other Collins? one. Joan Collins. Joan Collins. That's what yeah. it is. Yes. Uh, no. So I actually yeah, did look this up to see who the Sicarians mm-hmm. are, uh, yeah. and the reason it came to mind is there was a Voyager episode where the oh. these people had these archways that they could use to just sort of instantly be anywhere else without space travel, and right. they were looking to trade that technology or usage of it for stories because uh, they, they they love stories. So they want basically like a computer database dump of all the literature and media that Voyager had. And um, the way that Hugh says it, that the Borg assimilated Sicarians and not assimilated the Sicarians, it leaves people right. wondering about the ambiguity there. Like, are the Sicarians still around? And they assimilated like some of the engineers who knew how that worked. Um, or did they assimilate the whole damn race? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, cause, the race, cause they were right. in the Delta Quadrant, so you know it's a dangerous place to live. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Uh, I think I didn't. I didn't find found odd today about the the, the cube itself because I mean we see them cubes in in other episodes, and you know, and Seven had that sort of like station that Harry set up for her to regenerate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way the cube, the walls kind of moved and stuff like that, I just I, don't, I found that was a little little not necessary. But I guess they were trying to make it seem like it wasn't really a computer or like a styrofoam set like you know the original series that was just the stuff you couldn't see because we had sd televisions yeah yeah it's true <laughs> you couldn't true. see it all happening in the background well it's like i said the other day when when that one woman atlanta troyas threw the knife at, at uh, william shatner you could see that it was suspended on a, on a like a fishing line right um back in those days we wouldn't have been able to see that because it would have been all blurry and things right but mm-hmm. uh i I, mean, I like the styrofoam rocks that they had in, in <laughs> the original series and stuff like that right so my uh, my all-time favorite Paper one of those machine. i actually just rewatched not long ago um uh a to kill a mockingbird classic oh yeah beautiful yeah, the ham, film right? no you know what it is it's the scene where uh atticus uh, they call atticus home because there's a rabid dog in the streets of oh, Mako. Yeah, yeah, right yeah yeah oh that scene kills me every time this is long before they had to have the aspca on on scene right, yeah. during shoots yeah. so it's supposed to be this rabid dog has come through town and atticus is the best shot in town and they have to call him so that he can take this dog out and uh in lieu of special effects in the 1960s what they did was clearly tie a rope to this damn dog's leg and just pull it out from under him in the middle of the scene yeah. so that he falls so down when they down. shoot him yeah. and it is just the most awkwardly brutal thing to see this poor dog have its legs just yoinked out from under it because that that was a special effect it wasn't like they taught the dog to fall down on command they just pulled its legs out from under him yeah yeah, yeah. Pretty bad. the the other note i have here uh since I, <laughs> those of you listening to the show can't see this but I, I write my i write my notes in memes roughly or, <laughs> it and, really is delightful folks you're missing out <laughs> and for me i was thinking about things from soji's perspective in that it really feels like for her this is like an alice in wonderland type story where she has gone down the rabbit hole and through the looking glass quite literally in both of these right she went through the hole that she tore up in the room right, to get yeah. escape from the, the the red um radiation gas and she went through the looking glass with Picard, the archway that will take them to Nepenthe. Mm, mm-hmm. And, and of course, the, 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 the like nonsensical parts of like seeing 
seeing yourself as a a wooden doll and, and the, the weird cognitive dissonance that comes from that. Yeah, yeah. It was an artist who used to make um, sculptures out of large wooden dolls like that, which it, it, that's what it reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact they made it look like, like faux wood, you know? Yeah, it was interesting because she, her face is obviously very clear and I guess yeah. we're supposed to figure out whether that's she was witnessing the creation of Dodge or if she was supposed to be seeing yeah. another version of herself. Um, but yeah, yeah, the texture that it takes on sort of from the neck down is um, is very interesting. Haunting. Yeah. Well, she at the one point, I don't know if you remember, in, in her studio, she looks over and she sees an artist's uh, mannequin. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, the wooden mannequins that artists use to, po- to do poses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in her room, she looks over and sees a mannequin and then later on she sees the herself as the mannequin yeah. in the dream. Yeah. yeah. Are you guys surprised at the pacing of this episode that it came together sort of from we're headed there to we're out the door with, uh, with Soji all in one episode? Yeah, one episode, yeah. I found that a little... I thought that was interesting and, and odd, but um, I mean, it's typical of Star Trek. They kind of have a problem and they solve it in 40 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, with this overarching arc, because they did the same thing when you picked up uh, Elnor. That was a single episode. Um, you know, uh, like he developed a bit with with Rafi and, mm-hmm. and Alison Pill. Um, and Maddox, they kind of dispatched him in one episode mm-hmm. last week, right? Yep. So it's, it's, it's in keeping. They're not going to drag things out and have a tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Well, the nice thing is, again, you know that this is a sort of a, a, a season, but it's also sort of an event season. It is all interconnected. You can't watch these episodes without watching the right. previous one. It's, it just yeah, doesn't, it isn't built to live like that. Um, I would like to give the award for the line of the week to uh, our our own Jaime Lopez for total makeover. <laughs> <laughs> Total makeover that? Borg edition. I, I would. I think someone's got to make that. But <laughs> they're they're healing the Borg and they're like, I'm beautiful. Oh, total makeover. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> cruel. cruel and inhuman. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Good episode again. This this so I don't get series the here. Narek takes Soji to a booth, and Har and Yan can cook. So Yan can cook. Yan can cook. Was oh, a yeah. cooking show. <laughs> walk with Yan. Pre, yeah, walk pre, with you know, pre cooking channel, pre Food Network. Yeah. Yeah. From walk now on, Yen, we're not yeah. going to do a recap, folks. We're just going to have Jaime read this whole thing in his his <laughs> <laughs> weird meme messages. It'll be ten yeah. times more entertaining. The Timba, yeah. his arms wide. It's just everything is just memes, like <laughs> like that Darmok episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Shock out when the walls fell. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Want to dip into some Doctor Who? Yeah, Let's I'm all, I'm all caught up. Um, I'm all caught up. What okay. one episode left this Sunday? One is the final left. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And and they're really building to something. This is this is getting crazy. Well, they do this every year. They have these major battles. With you know, a couple of years ago it was the Dalek. This year it's the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, actually, the end of Capaldi's series with Bill was Cybermen as well, right? Yeah, so. that's right. But uh, but this is interesting in that it's sort of Cybermen, but it also ties in spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. That brings back to the beginning of the season. The Master is back as well. Yeah. So it's kind of bringing things full circle on the season and uh, excluding the uh, Save the Whales episodes in the middle there. It sort of, it seems like it's been sort of the first two episodes and the last three episodes are all sort of intertwined. So we get five standalones and five sort of intertwined overarching pieces. Um, well, they do, they've done that with seasons with, I mean, there was a season, the season I talked about with Bill and, and the, and the uh, Cybermen was also uh, started with Missy uh, mm-hmm. being imprisoned by Peter Capaldi's Doctor Who, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of went all the way through the season um, and then ended with, you know, Bill and, and the two doctors, the doctor and the master sort of helping each other escape. And then um, 
and and we lose Bill, right? Yeah. Um, at the end, well, sorry, Jaime, just pulled it for you. But anyway, um, yeah, and uh, two three years ago, before that, they had the 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 Dalek coming back. You know, the massive you know attack on Earth. Mm-hmm. And they had like hundreds of Dalek. They had learned how to fly, which was the new thing, right? By the way, so it's interesting because the Cybermen, you know, they have started. They started out as guys in tinfoil suits, kind of thing, and they kind of evolved over the years. And the Cybermen were always sort of um, like robotic, just kind of walked around and, and clunked around and, and walked really slowly and menacingly, that kind of stuff, right? But in this episode, their heads fly as drones. I mean, that's completely new. Um, and, you know, that, that the whole sort of Cybermen flying now, I mean, it's like, you know, now they're as terrifying as flying monkeys kind of thing, you know? <laughs> um, they It's kind of like they've taken it up a notch. Like, like you know, I didn't mind when the Dalek kind of, just, you know, drove around like really slow go-karts and stuff like that or, you know, um, R2-D kind of thing. It's like R2-D2 flying in, in what episode was that? Uh, um, oh, it's ep- it, episode uh, three, I think, is where he's got... Or, well, he does it in a, in a few of the... I think he does it in episode two, but episode three is the one where it's the slapsticky thing where he, like, sprays yeah. the oil and then ignites the yes, oil. Yeah. And, yeah, that, yeah that's yeah, episode yeah. three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that was after right after Chicken Run, right? It was sort of the Chicken Run uh, section in the middle of Star Wars, which makes no sense whatsoever with the, with the refinery, right? Yeah. yeah no, it was two is a fi- refinery one, right? Um, yeah, so it's kind of weird the way they, they kind of like have this this new sort of, you know, way that they come in, come into play here. I think it's, they're kind of telegraphing the whole story of who this one lone Cyberman guy is. Right? Yeah, sure. of course. Yeah, that's kind of obvious. But um, yeah, uh, it'll ha- you'll have some emotional breakdown in the next episode and the doctor will do some, you know, sonic uh, psychiatry on him and get him to admit that he's, you know, mad at his dad or something like that. Right. So, yeah, it's um, it's funny because, again, it is sort of you know, it's very sort of grand and epic on its scale. You know, Doctor Who does that sometimes. They sort of splash out um, and, and do these sort of, you know, multi-part ones. It did feel grand in that way and again, it does it certainly does whet the appetite for the end of the series anyways. Um, yeah. it, it'll be interesting to see if they can pay that off though. They have sort of spent multiple episodes sort of building this up and then there is the sort of grand reveal at the end of this episode. The Master is returned. Um, yeah. I wonder how they're going to pay it all off and if it will come together in a satisfying way. I may as our noob, yeah. what did you make of all this? Yeah, so I ended up catching up on the most recent three episodes, and the episode nine was the one that really held my attention the most, I found. Uh, the the setting with the Mary Shelley crew was right. uh, was pretty well done. Um, I don't have any real you know, good background on the, the Cybermen. They seem to me, uh, from this episode to be, and previous episodes, as being kind of like a, a cross between like the Borg and the Kalon, especially with the flying heads sort of thing mm-hmm. from uh identity part two and, and the orville yep so i yep. i think i more of those got what was going on um it was kind of interesting that they had split this episode with the uh you know like the the little kid who's you know adopted and becomes a, a policeman and eventually ends up retiring so the the dual getting removed at the end too mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah but um yeah i mean the the borg analogy is a great great observation too because that, that's essentially what it is uh, you know james corden was once on um doctor who as one of the one of the sort of you know people one of the victims as it were right and uh, he ended up being a cyberman for a bit I think it was on the Capaldi series right? yep but uh, yeah I mean it's it, it is funny that you mentioned that because yeah that's that's exactly what the cybermen are they they basically catch you and turn you into a cyberman you know mm-hmm. put you inside a suit and make you do weird things right? although it's funny because there is a there's sort of a mixed metaphor in that one too because some at some point they sort of change from you'll become one of us to we want you eradicated too they sort of become their own race right. at a certain yeah. point and it's 
it's less about yeah. assimilation, more about um, genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in this one, they're they're very clearly are like it's enough out of all of you, and they're they're there to kill all the humans, not take them hostage or turn them into anything. I was gonna say the doctor had mentioned that the, to the companions that the Cybermen eventually wipe out all the humans. Is that new information, or is that like a recap of stuff that's in the mythology? That's sort of in the mythology, I think. Yeah, I can't recall. I must admit it, it does start to get a little convoluted in my mind. Maybe we can do that for our fact check for next week. We'll do a deep dive on Cybermen. Yeah, they, I mean, as much as they jumped around in time, you know, in, in Doctor Who in general, um, they used, in the early, early season, they used to do less of that, right? It would be sort of like one week to the next kind of thing, and they didn't, I guess they didn't really have the, the intelligent kind of writers that they have now with the ability to sort of play with space and time and, you know, what, what happens to this timeline if you go change things, right? Because mm-hmm. um, Gallifrey comes up a lot in, in the show uh, in this later, the later, the second half of, of Doctor Who series, right? Um, it was kind of just mentioned in the first uh, bunch of Doctors, but, you know, now the, now it's since uh, David Tennant and uh, and his kind, um, you see Gallifrey more often, you see paintings. They've, they've been to Gallifrey a number of times, and of course, it's, you know, at different phases in its existence, right? So, um, and Earth is different. I mean, sometimes, you know, some of the plot lines in, in Earth, they'll go and they'll, they'll, some alien is taking over, or there's one point where the, the aliens take over the whole British Parliament, <laughs> you know, and uh, the Doctor saves the day, you know, and, and uh, so they play with the timeline there. There's a, there's a couple of series where they go to the Oval Office and Nixon is the president, <laughs> you know, and they, they help help out Nixon in some cases, which is kind of odd, you know, um, in retrospect. So I, mean, I suppose in 10 years, they'll be helping Trump out, you know. But, uh, <laughs> So I, from a, a newbie standpoint, is there some sort of stated limitation on the time travel aspect? Like where I'm going with this is how come they don't use the Bill and Ted model of solving problems? Like, oh, crap, we messed it up. All right. The next time we come through here, we have to remind ourselves to do this thing. Right. And they just yeah, keep it's kind of Rick and Morty, too. Yeah. 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 Um, they, uh, they, she does say and, and doctors over time have said repeatedly that some, t- some points in time are fixed and that uh, you can can't basically you can't rework time in that sort of area that there are some things that are immovable there was one mm-hmm. there was one episode with matt smith and amy pond and i think um alex kingston who, what did she play i forget her name now river song yeah um where they're in a museum and some object gets left on the stairs or they see some object left on the stairs and then when they come around again in the future that object becomes important to them um so they, they have done that in the past where they kind of like oh i left that there for myself to help i knew i would need that later kind of thing you know? well and and so i'll put a spoiler out there but also ask jaime do you intend to go back and watch more doctor who series because there's a really good uh, twist about time play at one point between when characters meet at different points in time when one person meets you isn't necessarily when they met you met them based on who you were at different times and at what point in their life they you first appeared um there's yeah this is, ties into the whole river song um storyline um, yeah yeah yeah, I mean, there's just so much um, uh, Doctor Who media that it, I, I think it's fair, right? It's kind of like, you know, spoilers for Voyager that came out in the 90s sort of thing. Like <laughs> you know, it's yeah. more than 10 years old at this point. I think spoilers are, are, are fair game, you know? Yeah. Well, is Doctor Who accessible, like, on any any of the platforms? Like, older ones? Okay. I haven't I haven't checked. I haven't really Because, I mean, B- the BBC used to always, like, the, to buy the box sets for, for Doctor Who was always really expensive. It, it continues to be quite expensive. Um, I 
and I think here in Canada, I think Crave is actually, I think, um, where you can read, uh, read, watch Doctor Who. Um, really? Hmm. Yeah. I, I seem to recall seeing that they had the previous 11 series from the reboot available right. there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on Netflix previously because, uh, again, when you had sort of turned me on to that somewhere in the uh, series two, three era, um, that's where I went back and started. I think I watched maybe the first five or four new series in that all in a row on Netflix, but it's no longer available mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem... But as you say, it's prohibitively expensive to buy the box sets. They're they're really quite... Um, for like 10 episodes, is you know, 70 bucks or something fool like that here in Canada. Here in the U.S., I just use the, the Roku to search and to see, you know, across all different uh, channels that across that platform what's available. And the only thing that's available is on... What channel is this? BFI Player Classics from 1965. Doctor Who and the Daleks. Which well, that's a movie. I guess it, I could Because they sing. had done some movies that are disconnected from the actual show, right? Mm. That Doctor yeah. Who and the Daleks is the stars uh, Peter Cushing. You know Grand Moth Tarkin from Star Wars? Oh. He, um, plays a doc- he plays a doctor in that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Victor Von Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our watch list and get this, get this puppy to bed. I mean, you're up first. Yeah, mine is... Uh, Related to The Witcher, which I, I finished up as a series on Netflix, finished up season one. And uh, if folks remember, I have brought up the Real Lawyer, the Legal Eagle series on YouTube. And on this one, he covers the Witcher's law of surprise and how it would work in legal terms and whether, whether it would be legal mm-hmm. and how you can change aspects of it to make it legal or not. So I, th- I thought that was pretty entertaining. Yeah, I tried to watch the first 10 minutes of The Witcher and I just couldn't get through it. <laughs> I, I, I would say say as somebody who sat through all 10, 10, 10 episodes, um, it does a real heavy exposition dump in the first two episodes. Oh yeah. And then it mm-hmm. picks up in the third episode. Right. right. So, so if you're going to, uh, you know, if you're interested at all, I'd say power through those first couple mm-hmm. and then, and then see the mm-hmm. third. Um, and if by the third, you're like, yeah, no, uh, then it, it's not going to be for you. Right. And that's okay. Right. There's plenty of other media. So last week you guys were talking about better call Saul. So I put it down as all of us wanting to watch better call Saul, be better call Saul. But I don't know if you know this or not, John, but but they showed the premiere episode on Sunday night. It's normally on Mondays. So they had like a two-night premiere. So I missed, the, I happened to catch the, I missed the, I only caught it halfway through on Sunday night. Yeah. Um, but then they replayed it again before the the premiere time. I think it's nine o'clock at night on Mondays. Yep. They played it at eight and then at nine. So I don't know if you saw both episodes. Yeah, I, I caught it on the On Demand because AMC is actually pretty good through Rogers On Demand. Um, but oh, I didn't know it was on On Demand. Okay. It is. Um, mm. Yeah, that, that's, actually somewhat common practice with AMC. They they do two night premieres often. They'll they'll drop mm-hmm. you episode one on one night and episode two. Um, I know Jason Siegel uh, from How I Met Your Mother and uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall has a new AMC series starting this week. Um, Look, it's on my it's on my watch list called Dispatches from Everywhere. Yeah, um, so you can talk about that <laughs> one. But I know that that's a two night premiere as well. That's uh, right, yeah, premieres on yeah. Sunday night and the first episode, and then episode two is on. Uh, so it's after The Walking Dead on Sunday, and then after Better Call Saul on Monday. So they're doing oh, the same okay. thing with that one. So you get sort of two episodes in two days and then and then it's uh, I think eight more episodes after that over the next eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And another show that I saw and I can't remember which channel it's going to be on. It's called Devs and it's about app development, Jaime. 
I have heard the title. It actually is about developers. Yeah, something oh. something to do with. It. I just caught it. Yeah, I just caught a like a preview. When I was watching something else the other day, and I thought, oh, I better go set that one up in uh, the PVR. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's something we'll definitely have to watch. Mm-hmm. You're up, John. All right, uh, I have a couple things. So uh, I watched this uh, new show premiered on Netflix last week. Uh, it's called I Am Not Okay with This. Uh, it's based on a graphic novel, which is right in my wheelhouse. Um, Mm -hmm. A very dark um, graphic novel called, uh, well, same name, um, by uh, a creator named Charles Forsman. Charles Forsman uh, has previously had his work adapted by Netflix from his uh, work, which all sort of follows this very... um, uh, dark, edgy graphic novels. Um, previously, he did one called End of the F blank 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 ING World. Um, this is a family podcast, so I won't say what it is, but uh, which was a fantastic uh, show on Netflix. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to watch that one. Again, very dark. Um, that one is about a uh, End of the F and World is about a um, pair of young uh, teenagers who decide to basically run away from home and go on a uh, crime spree. Um, mm-hmm. And his plan is to murder her, and her plan is to uh, commit as many crimes as she can along the way. It's it's pretty grim and dark, but it's really interesting television. Uh, I Am Not Okay With This is a new series, and it focuses around um, a young woman named Sids who's 17 years old. She's living in a crummy town in rural Pennsylvania, and uh, in typical sort of teen angsty kind of stuff, is having all the usual problems with uh, high school and, and relationships and friendships and, uh, you know all these different things, but in the midst of this, she also was starting to realize that she may be more than just an average human being. Um, it's I watched uh, the first four episodes last night, and uh, it's only seven episodes, and there are 20 to 25 minutes apiece. So it's essentially a movie. It's about a two-hour and 15-minute movie when you put them all together. Um, excellent performance by the star um, Sophia Lillis, who was in the remake of It. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth checking out it's um it's sort of in the wheelhouse of of that sort of bridge between teen angst teen drama and uh and uh, sort of it's got some black comedy elements but it's also very it's got some very blackness to it as well uh and, and in that sort of same um coming of age um you know more than meets the eye to this young woman kind of storyline mm-hmm. and the next thing i got was uh, i just saw this earlier tonight and uh, i flagged it in here so uh, apparently uh bong joon who's uh, um, storyboards that he used to lay out how they were going to film Parasite is going to be made into a graphic novel. Uh, so for those of us who are sort of in that wheelhouse, uh, there's going to be a different way to, to take in that. And it's always, I, I find that to be fascinating. I have a few different books um, mm-hmm. that have shown, uh, you know, famously the ones for uh, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, the Matrix ones are amazing. Um, there are, it's really interesting to see how somebody envisions those things and how they're brought to life from there. So it'd be interesting to see Wait, how so you've seen the movie now? I have not. Oh, okay. But apparently it's coming out in April on... Uh, on IMAX, I think you said, right? Well, it's got it on IMAX now, I think, but it's coming out uh, apparently on Hulu in the United States, so hopefully that means it's coming here in the not-distant future, so... Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. I'll cool. get there. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 fun to see it in the theater, you know, large as life, because mm-hmm. you, you see more of what's on the screen, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it'll be entertaining no matter how you see it, mm-hmm. for sure. All right, well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News. All right, and Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, and you'll find me on Twitter as well. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll see 
see you in the future. Bye. Bye. Beam us up, Scotty. <laughs> Beam us up, Scotty. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. I don't know what Stardate for Picard's in. Well, in yeah, I guess we established if it's, yeah, we don't know what the actual date is. We know what the year is. Well, they kind of blew that whole thing with, with um, the last season of Discovery, right? Because now we have no idea where we are. I mean, it's in yeah. the 30th or 31st century, depending where they're, oh, it? Where they're mm-hmm. drawing the, the, the line on, on things. Right, right. Yep. They go like 900-ish years in the future, <laughs> so depending how literal they were with that. And right. Picard is in 2399, the tail end of the 20th fourth almost the 25th century like buck rogers right in the 25th century yep yeah the amazing that guy you mentioned earlier died at 61 years old i know um, it's, that's far too young. soon it's a shame pretty young yeah. hmm. did it say how he died uh i don't think the story says oh look it's up up down down left right left right b a start, start. Yep. Huh. does that only work on konami games no it's been adopted for a lot of different things over the years konami is famous mm-hmm. for it but it's sort of become mm-hmm. a, a trope and as jaime mentioned earlier it's sort of spun from there too it's other things have uh, have done it. Uh, the story referenced at the bottom of the, the Kotaku story, they mentioned the Bank of Canada used it at one point. I, I do not get the reference. I don't know what that means. I meant to look that up, but I haven't. Uh, it's been a bit of a busy week for me. So. Right, too. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would say if you're ever bored, Tim, just try it on some random site that you suspect <laughs> might, you know, have a gaming culture associated with it. Oh, yeah? And there's a pretty good chance you'll, you'll get some sort of Easter egg. Nice. Yeah, it is really funny how many different things that is seeped into and uh, and really yeah like I say it, it, it's almost become a um, an in joke in its way hmm. but I do love the bluntness of it too where he's just like you know yeah I couldn't I couldn't beat our own game so I put in a cheat code <laughs> yeah yeah that's not uncommon in in uh, development to do stuff like that yeah. Level yeah, selects I mean, and, and music. Yeah, this guy's basically the, the grandfather of the cheat code, right? Built it right in. Yeah. He said, he said the reason I made this code so easy, too, is because I was the one who was going to be using it, so I made sure it was something I would remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did that once. I was working on an app once where every time I went to run the app, you have to log in. So um, I, th- I said, this is annoying. So I, I put it like a remember me thing that would remember your username and password so that every time I just went to run the app, it would automatically log me in. And then we turned that into a feature, right? So well, hang on. I just 
found this one. I'm going to paste this in next to the uh, the note for that one. So here, you guys can mm-hmm. check this out. What could that be, he wondered. Ten awesome uses of the Konami code. This is a story from 2017 from Kotaku, where they show you examples of where it's been used in modern terms. So they used it in the very popular uh, online game Rocket League, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which was, of course, a very much uh, meta video game experience movie everything and then yeah gradius there's the bank of canada one there's no rule that says the konami code needs to be used in a game earlier this month the bank of canada revealed the new ten dollar banknote inputting the konami code acts adds an extra dash of bizarre patriotism in summoning a horde of confetti and playing the boisterous canadian anthem really there you go so nerds are everywhere man uh yes yeah, you can use it in pretty much every teenage mutant ninja turtles beat up game that they ever created uh, assassin's creed 3 and of course contra that's the very famous one that like honestly i don't know how people finish that game without that code hmm. and of course yeah it was, uh, they don't mention it in here but um yeah metal gear right metal gear used it i'll have to try and work that into some of my games yep. for science <laughs> <laughs> you monster yep anyway i'm ready to pack it in yep me too oh, easy day all right talk to you guys later talk to you all right later. see you next week bye. guys bye. bye you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.